I, I don't know if you guys that are interested in racing realize that I have a, a DVD um, school that you can buy on our website, which it, which would give you, I don't know, it's 10 chapters or something, but it really gives you some good insight. And I also teach an, an on-site, you know, right out at the Hammers school as well. Um, so if well, you wait a second. Tell, where, me, tell me about that on-site thing. You mean somebody could show up there and you would teach them? Well, they have to pay, but yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah, and, and <laughs> lots of people do that. Yeah. That's very cool. I, did, I had no idea. Yeah. We introduce regular product giveaways happening here on the Jeep Talk Show. Every month and sometimes every week, the world's most downloaded Jeep podcast will be giving you, the listener, a chance to win serious gear from major companies that you know, love, and trust. You want a chance to win tires, suspension components, maybe more? Listen every week for your chance to win big. Nexon Tire USA, we got you. Found out more about the tires that are on the 2021 Jeep Talk Show Gladiator, the Nexon Tire Rodian MTX, at NexonTireUSA.com. You're listening to a 4x4, 4x4 Radio Network podcast. Are you ready? It's the Jeep Talk Show. With Wimby, there will be body damage. Jock. I like making people laugh. That's it's good for my soul. Jock. Yeah, I don't think so. And I think that's a huge deal. So sit back, strap in, and brace yourself. Hey, are you new to the roundtable? Perhaps new to the Jeep Talk Show? Well, welcome. The roundtable is listeners like you that connect with us on Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Central Time. You don't have to be invited. You just need a Zoom meeting link and a password. Oh, by the way, the password's always Jeep. Everyone is invited because everyone has an opinion or something to share. To get the meeting invite information, subscribe to our newsletter at jeeptalkshow.com slash contact. Gail, you'll have to scroll around a little bit, but it's it's pretty easy to find. So, you know, the roundtable uh, is is our uh, Wednesday uh, Wednesday episode, but we record on Tuesday night. And it's usually a list of questions that we ask uh, our Zoom people and discuss those, uh, those questions, answers, and sometimes we go down the rabbit trails. Or it's a guest that you can ask questions of. Tonight, we have a guest. Our guest is Tony Pellegrino of GenRight.com. Tony was raised in Southern California, married for 35 years, and has two boys. He is the founder and president of Genrite Off-Road that specializes in top-quality aftermarket Jeep products. He has been in manufacturing for the last 35 years and enjoys the hell out of going to Las Vegas and getting in trouble with his industry friends at SEMA. Oh, who wouldn't? Uh, In Tony's spare time, he enjoys riding his Harley to Sturgis with his buddies each summer. Tony uh, has been an uh, off-roader since age five and a Jeep owner since 1999. Uh, He has raced King of the Hammers over 10 times and stood on the podium multiple times. You can find out more about Tony and Genrite Off-Road, Inc. by visiting their website at genrite.com. Well, Tony, uh, I know this is your uh, second time being with us. We really appreciate you coming and doing a a, a guest interview with us here. Uh, just uh, not very not very long ago. It's been a long time since we actually recorded it, but we uh, we put it out just uh, uh, I don't know my, a few episodes back. So this uh, thank you for. Uh, I guess I guess you didn't have enough the first time. You, you didn't learn your lesson the first time. Is basically what, yeah. what it winds up being. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But thanks for having me on again. Absolutely. Now, uh, you understand the rules here, right? I mean, uh, we, we have this uh, this uh, group of people that are going to be talking to you and asking you questions, and there's no telling what they're going to ask. 
Oh, boy. And a, a yeah, li- that sounds like fun. And a little birdie told me that your wife may be on here, so I, I hope there's not any questions she's going to ask you that she's going to put you on the spot for. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Why didn't you take out the trash? That's the my favorite, my wife's favorite one. <laughs> So Tony, uh, you just got back from Sturgis. Uh, I, I found out by uh, by when I called uh, last week to kind of touch base with you before the uh, the roundtable episode. How how was that? Oh man, it was really fun. Um, you know, it's a twenty five or twenty six hundred mile ride out there, and then you ride about fifteen hundred miles while you're there. And uh, it is it was very warm this year. That that was unusually warm. Um, weather was great. You know, sometimes we get rain. This time we didn't get anything. So um, it's it's always a fun time, and I'm, it's always good to see all my buddies and hang out too. So uh, is that fifteen hundred miles? So so is this like it's not like trail riding, is it? I absolutely know nothing about about Sturgis or, or what goes on out there. I mean, I have an idea, but I mean, the legitimate stuff is just uh, hanging out. I thought it was just really hanging out and people looking at bikes and doing that. Where, where do you ride fifteen hundred miles? Yeah, so um, I guess you're, you're right that the perception is that everybody's hanging out in town and causing trouble. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, you, you know, in South Dakota, the Black Hills Forest is um, one of the nicest areas, and they've got a whole network of little roads out there that are perfect for riding a motorcycle on. Um, there, there is a whole network of OHV trails out there, too. So um, if you're an off-roader, there's a, a big network of that. But in this case, you know, we're there for bike week and, uh, you know, Mount Rushmore's there. Um, Crazy Horse is out there. Uh, you've got Needles Highway, um, the Iron Highway. I mean, it, it's just, uh, it's really, really nice out there. And you can travel a long way through some historic areas, Deadwood and Spearfish, um, all across there. So it's uh, it's got a, a pretty wide range and a lot of the rides even go out through Wyoming and come back. So um yeah you'll you'll ride several hundred miles a day easy wow it sounds like that would just be a visual adventure seeing all that stuff and 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 not being uh i guess it's very uh gp too because you're you're out in the open you're having that and even more so on a motorcycle uh you really don't have any cover around you so it really is like living uh living it instead of uh, just being a passenger driving along and looking through uh glass at that things yeah, you're right. It's, it's very similar. That's part of what I love about it is that you feel the temperature changes on your face and you smell the smells that you're going through. And it's uh, very open air and, and just like a Jeep, it's really nice and uh, really gives you that extra sense of awareness of uh, enjoying the entire environment. You know, lots of fresh air out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, my uh, my brother-in-law uh, still rides motorcycle. It's not a, it's not a Holly, uh, but it's... Uh, uh, Harley, rather, uh, but and I've tried to get him into uh, Jeeps because it gives him that open air uh, feel, but a little more protection uh, out there on the road. Now, driving all those those miles, have you had some close calls on the motorcycle? Yeah, mostly with animals. Um, you know, there's a lot of wild and loose animals between uh, California and South Dakota, and uh, deer. You know, bighorn sheep, uh, moose. Oh, God. Elk. You know, I mean, you've got cows, you know, just everything. Donkeys. So I had donkeys coming through Arizona. So um, you get the gamut, for sure. Oh, my gosh. I bet you that could really could cause damage not only to your motorcycle, but you. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you definitely want to be heads up and avoid that at, at all costs. 
um, when I came out of Oatman and headed toward Kingman, Arizona, um, I, I hit a really gnarly thunderstorm, which turned into a flash flood. You know, they, there's not much to soak anything up out in the desert. So I had to tr- cross 12 rushing rivers on the bike. So it, it, it definitely kept things exciting. Holy crap. You can't get, the, <laughs> you can't get bored doing that. 12 rushing rivers. Gee whiz. Yeah, with rocks and logs and stuff going by, you know. God, if something well, had, something had happened to you, I would be complaining about. Well, Tony just had to do that so he wouldn't have to come to the show. Gee whiz, because you know it's all about it's all about me and the show. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about Genrite a little bit. How long you been doing Genrite? And uh, I mean, uh, what kind of Jeeps do you support? I mean, if I recall, you go you go quite a wide range of Jeeps. Yeah, so we go all the way back to uh, CJ5 and all the way up to the JL, the JT now. Um, so we, we cover a wide variety there. But, you know, mostly Wranglers is, is kind of our forte. We do a little bit of XJ stuff. Um, but uh, we, we offer a, a wide variety of parts for each one of those vehicles. You know, everything from bumpers to rockers to fenders to roll cages. I mean, really, and then a lot of other accessories um, you know, for the inside, the outside of, of any of the Jeeps to, to get them dressed up. Um, a lot of complimentary parts, you know, which would be steering or shocks or tires, wheels. You know, basically, we, we feel that we've kind of uh, flushed out the BS parts and got down the good ones, and then that's what we offer our customers. Basically, the same stuff that I run on my Jeep. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's important, too. Uh, I know that we don't like advertising anything here on the show, uh, that we don't believe in, and uh, uh, the Genrite stuff is uh, is really easy to believe in because you guys have done a really good job over there. And I just want to say thank you for uh, continuing to support uh, the XJ, even if it's a, a limited uh, a limited degree. Because my God, last one uh, last XJ that was made was in 2021, so uh, that was uh, 20 years ago. Yeah, I know you have a soft spot in your heart for those. Sorry, 2001. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. <laughs> 2001. <here>. Yeah, 2001. <laughs> Yep. Well, XJ was my first Jeep, so still got it in the garage, too, which I always have to mention. Um, So that is really cool. All right. Well, I think everybody knows uh, Tony Pellegrino, or at least they know genright.com, and they've heard of you. Uh, So I'm going to go ahead and uh, jump over here and let the Zoom people in. Uh, Now, Zoom people, I want to remind you, uh, and especially those of you that are here that are new, Please say your name. First name is is plenty, and uh, where you're located. Uh, so the uh, the listeners, the ones that weren't lucky enough to join in on the Zoom meeting tonight, so they'll know uh, who's talking and uh, about where you're located. So that's just the first time that you say something. So uh, go go right ahead. Uh, and oh, and I do need to say. Uh, <laughs> so. Um, we now join the Zoom meeting, which is already in progress. Please keep in mind that what you're about to hear is completely unrehearsed. The opinions may be strong and may or may not reflect the opinion of the Jeep Talk Show. Okay, Zoom people, you know how it works. The ones of uh, the, of you that have been here before know how, knows how it works. Uh, and be kind to the visitors. Why start now? <laughs> well, they're probably all Jeepers, so they're probably used to the abuse anyway. Yeah, should be. How's it going? This is uh, this is uh, John, Central Texas. Um, I was going to jump in with a question real quick, uh, mainly around the uh, the racing side of the house. Um, so I'm kind of new getting into King of the Hammers and Ultra Four and kind of following a lot of that. Um, 
was talking to a couple of your guys here in the room about that a little bit ago. So, you know, as a someone in the Jeep background, I'm really interested in the solid axle rigs and watching how they do specifically. I've kind of been following Slauson and the Bombers series for the Bomber cars. Um, I see, though, that especially like this last year where an IFS rig won overall, um, kind of how do you see that that transition? Do you think that kind of solid axles are on their way out? Do you think that they're still going to be able to stay competitive with all the advancements in the IFS technology and use of things like portals and stuff like that? Um, just, just curious your thoughts around that. Oh, that's the, you're, you're asking the right guy because uh, I happen to think that the solid axle was the spirit of the class. So as soon as the IFS came out, I was really quite anti-independent um, suspension. Um, and for a long time, you know, I, I know the, the founder of King of the Hammer, Dave Cole, and he and I talked back and forth about should we create a second class? But then what was happening was you know, every other year or, you know, several years in a row, a solid axle would win. So he goes, well, you know, it's not obvious that the IFS is dominating. So, you know, there's no need for a class. Um, all that said, you know, my son is driving an independent front and rear car now with portals. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of moving parts. There, there's When it works, it's phenomenal. But keeping it together is a whole nother story. So, um, you know, for, for a long time, I kind of chuckled and just said, okay, you know, let those guys run that stuff. You know, they got, they got more moving parts. They're more likely to have an issue. And, um, you know, the races keep getting longer and, uh, they're, they're putting harder and harder trails and obstacles in. So, um, I, I think the solid axle still has a fair chance. Tony, if I could suggest, it sounds like you have the, the ear of uh, King of the Hammers. I would recommend going with a second class, but make it for the Broncos, because that's about the, the most second class vehicle I can think of. <laughs> <laughs> that's fire. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> well, considering Ford is this big sponsor, I'm not sure. That's oh, cool. yeah. Well, no, it's, it's just an idea. Don't, don't worry about me. <laughs> but I like it. Well, this is Cord out in Scottsdale, and I'm actually going to chase John on that question for you, Tony. So, looking back at your career with KOH uh, as a driver, as a builder, what would you say are those the biggest lessons you've learned over that time there? Oh, man. That's, that's a pretty open question. And I, I don't know if you guys that are interested in racing realize that I have a, a DVD um, school that you can buy on our website, which it, which would give you... I don't know, it's 10 chapters or something, but it really gives you some good insight. And I also teach an, an on-site, you know, right out at the Hammers school as well. Um, so if well, you get wait a second, tell, where, me, tell me about that on-site thing. You mean somebody could show up there and you would teach them? Well, they have to pay, but yeah. No, of course. <laughs> and, and lots of people do that. Yeah, That's very cool. I, did, I had no idea. Yeah. yeah, so what we do is we, we drive together. So I will drive in my Jeep. They'll drive in their race car or Jeep or whatever they have. And um, what we'll, I'll observe them. You know, it depends on how many days we're together. And then at some point, we'll ride together. And then um, at some point, I will follow them. Because I, I have to teach them how to chart their own, pick their own lines, chart their own path. And uh, that's, you know, when we're just out there driving around, it's one thing. But, you know, on race day, it's super dusty. It's like driving in the fog. So, um, you know, you really 
have to know your car well and know the, the course, you know, and pre-running is a big part of it and having a well-prepared car. I mean, it's, that's, that's a, a really blank canvas that, that question. Um, but, you know, one time I talked to uh, Robbie Gordon and he was just like, prep, prep, prep. You know, you'd be amazed how the stupidest little thing, you know, a loose zip tie or, you know, a bolt that didn't get tightened or, uh, you know, Shannon Campbell had a washer fall out once. I mean, there's, um, and I, I routinely go around and ask people what happened, you know, what took them out of the race. And it's always stupid little stuff. So if you can really stay after and know your car well, um, and we used to do that by pre-running a lot. You know, we'd go out there and run, you know, a thousand miles. And then we'd know what bolt is going to come loose first or, or what, whatever, whatever the, the next thing is, if something's going to wear through. And uh, I can tell you this, when, when I would go out to pre-run with people, they'd probably make it one lap before their exhaust melted off or, you know, something majorly catastrophic that took them out at 60 miles. Um, oh, so let me, let me tell you that. The, the statistics are that 50% of the racers are out by mile 50, which means they never even come off the first lap. So it's, it's a, a lot harder race than people think, for sure. So if you make a, a full lap, you're really doing good. You're doing good. Yeah, that, now all you got to do is keep your shit box together, so to speak. <laughs> which, which it was perfectly fine to start with. It wasn't a shit box, but after, after 50 miles, it starts to become one. I got you. Yeah, yeah. When you've clipped every rock on the side and run through cactus and, you know, basically hit bumps you couldn't see and ruts and stuff or, or somebody else bumped into you, you know, uh, it's just total melee out there. And I would assume that's kind of the fun part because you, no matter how much pre-running you do, the, it, it's going to be a little different every time you go. I mean, the, the vision, the vision, uh, the, the track, because other people are, uh, are going uh, across the, uh, the surface. So everything's changing. So uh, there has to be, I mean, there's a lot of skill involved, but there has to be a little bit of luck in that as well. Yeah. A lot of luck. Yeah. And, and, and smarts, right? Like if you can't see, Maybe you should slow down or pick a different line or, you know, something. It's, it's only a matter of time before you hit something when you can't see. Right. So you, you've really got to be playing it smart and keep your car together. Um, and, you know, your, your navigator plays a big part of it. And, you know, when we pre-run, we'll, we'll pre-run the main path, which would be, you know, the dead center of the race course. And we'll pre-run a little bit left and a little bit right. So depending on which way the wind is blowing, we'll be able to get off to one side and know we have a clear path. So um, you'd be amazed how many people just drive in the dust. They have no idea where they're going, missing turns, you know, all kinds of stuff. So, and people just follow them. They follow each other. You know, <laughs> of course. You know, there's ten guys out in the middle of the desert. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tony, this is Larry from St. Louis. So, so what would you say for someone who wants to come out and ride with you, like you were talking about? What do you, what would you suggest as kind of like the minimal build for your Jeep? and or the ideal build? That's a great question. So um, Genrite does a couple of things, a couple of tiers for you right there. Um, at Thanksgiving, we're out there for 10 days, and basically we welcome the public, customers, anybody who wants to camp and, and go wheeling with us. And uh, typically we'll wheel, you know, 50 or so miles a day, you know, because some of the trails that are, you know, further out, like Outer Limits, 
um, you know, that's that's like 20 or 30 miles just to get there. And then, you know, then you got to run the trail and get back. So um, that's that's one level. So that that's, a you know, you need to have a, a rig built enough to go run the hammer. So that's decent sized tires, lockers, you know, well-built um, winch, you know, a lot of the, the, the safety stuff in terms of cage and stuff. Um, then the next level would be something that we do, which we call the real hammers experience. So that's where you say, okay, I think I'm interested in racing. Um, and I'm going to equip my Jeep with all the safety stuff, harnesses, aluminum roof, you know, uh, basically everything, navigation, um, you know, pumper system, but basically it's, it's a race car, right? That, that you just aren't used to it yet. So that we do on a shorter version. It's about a 50 mile course, um, which is the original OG 13 course. And, um, you know, that, that can take anywhere from, you know, two and a half hours to eight or nine hours. I think the last guy that came in was almost nine hours. So that's another option. Now that is, you know, there's nobody spotting you on trails. It is a hundred percent up to you and your, your co-driver to get yourself out of situations, change tires. You know, it's, it's uh, like racing, right? We call it a pre-run and uh, that's why we call it the real hammers experience. And then the next level from that would be like one of my training courses. So you could meet me out there and I would give you a one-on-one, you know, high, low speed, you know, so we do desert, we do rocks, we do whatever, you know, either I saw that you needed help with, or you felt you needed help with. And, uh, at the same time, I could help you do a little bit of, uh, tuning and, and diagnostics on your car to get it better, um, or Jeep, whatever, whatever you're driving. And, uh, th- those are all possibilities. The, the main thing I think when, when you're really learning to drive in something like King of the Hammers is you've got to treat it like a marathon, not a sprint. And um, that mindset is really hard for people to get through. Um, and I'll, I'll give you an idea. You know, when, if you say, you know, hey, Tony, I want to race King of the Hammers, the actual race. Well, my, my first question is, have you ever driven anything, anything at all, a freaking car for 12 hours straight? Okay, because if, if the answer is no, then then you, you might be thinking about the wrong sport. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, I get people that, that, and I'm like, dude, you haven't even raced a Pinewood Derby car before. Like, you, you know, you want to go race against crazy people out there in the desert? Like, are you serious? So it, it, I think that's part of, and, you know, when, when I do my training course, that's all stuff we talk about. We talk about your safety gear, and there, there's a lot of things about, even just wearing your fire suit and your neck restraint, your helmet, your gloves, you put that stuff on and you, you have no sense of speed. You have um, very limited visibility. It's harder to breathe. It's, it's hot. You know, um, all of those things play a part. Um, you know, you got a window net now, so you can't just hang your arm out the window and look and see where your tire is. You've got to memorize stuff in front of you. Um, all of these things are things that, that I address. And when I'm training somebody, I'm, I just say, you know, you, those are old habits. You know, you gotta, you can't do those anymore. You have to wear all your safety stuff and you got to get right. Cause otherwise it can start like chafing on your neck and now you're uncomfortable. And, um, the other thing you got to do is, you know, wear a diaper or a catheter. So, you know, a lot of people don't realize that there's, there's no getting out of the car. 
no no pun intended but that'd be a hard out for me uh, no catheter sorry <laughs> so um i know that's probably more information than that gentleman just asked for but oh it's I'm, great I'm trying to kind of broaden the scope yeah yeah oh and speaking of information i i did not know this whenever we did our interview back on episode 633 uh but you have a uh a every wednesday tech talk with tony don't you I do, yeah. Uh, that's tomorrow, and uh, I do that at uh, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And that's about an hour show, and it's also the same kind of format where people can ask, you know, whatever they want. I, I usually have something to talk about, but then I kind of open it up where they can talk about whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is, and it's great. I mean, this is, uh, I saw that and I went, oh, yeah, of course, he, he won't mind being on our roundtable at all. It'll be like an <laughs> old home week for him. Yes. Yes, exactly. Awesome. So what else we got? Hey, Tony. So this is Steve out of side of Chicago. So you talk about, you ask these, all those questions. What's the one thing that most surprises people that aren't experienced when they come out there, you start talking about all these different factors, you know, the suit, the, the, the catheter, the diaper. What's the one thing that shocks them and surprises them the most <laughs> that makes them decide, you know what, maybe this isn't for me. Um, I think, I think once you're harnessed in and you've got all this safety stuff on the, the freedom that you normally feel when you're wheeling is, is gone. And you have to really start looking ahead and memorizing things and wheeling by feel. So, um, and most people aren't used to that. Um, and, and what I, what I mean by that, I, I guess I should be a little more specific. When, when you pull up to something, you know, and say you hear a differential hit or the, the skid plate or something, or maybe even the axle tube, um, you, you have to know the difference in the sound. You know, is it a just a kind of a scrape or is it a hard thud? Um, and you have to know right then, do I give it gas or do I back up? Um, so in a racing situation, typically you're going to have people right on your rear bumper. So backing up may not even be an option. So choosing your lines in the first place is going to be really important. Second place is with one full rotation of the tires, whatever traction was there is now gone. So... So whatever, you know, you barely hit now is twice as deep, right? So I think that's the biggest surprise is that they, they feel, you know, when they're harnessed back and they're, they're, they got their helmet on and now your view is quite a bit smaller, you know, and they're going, oh, man, I can't tell what's going on. You know, there's nobody to spot me, right? I've, I've got to, like, make my own choices. Um, I think that's probably the single biggest thing that, that um, overwhelms them quite quickly. I can see why you like riding the motorcycle. Do <laughs> <laughs> you come across anyone that's claustrophobic? Um, I, okay, so <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> so um, I, I'm known for giving rides either in my Jeep or in my race car. I, I love doing it. I, I like giving people the experience, right? So we always have extra helmets, and um, we, we get them in the helmet. We you know, I have somebody that helps get them uh, harnessed in the seat, and then we put the window nets up, you know, and um, I have to tell them, like, hey, if, if because we have an onboard fire system, right? So I, I go over a few things with them, and I, I'm like, look, you know, this is where the fire lever is. You do not pull this until you see flame, okay? <laughs> like, smoke doesn't count, okay? So, and typically, right after I finish that, they're like, what? Like, we could die? Like, well, yeah, dude, it's a race car. You know, what, what do you think? So, so then, you know, I tell them, I go, okay, um, now the moment I start to move, you need to close your face shield, 
because the rocks start spitting in off the open front tires, right? There's no fenders. So, um, you know, typically they hear mine close and then they, because remember, they can't even look to the left to see me, right? All they can do is, like, we're talking on an intercom, they can hear me and stuff, but they can't see me because you can't turn your head. So um, then what I do is I start telling them, I go, look, you know, if, if you need me to slow down, I need you to wave your hand. Like, you just got to wave it out in front so I can see it, okay? Because I don't want them to be scared. That's going to ruin their ride. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, the other thing I tell them is if you're going to puke, like, for any reason, you, I need you to wave that hand and yell, like, and I'm going to hammer the brakes and get you out of this car because I don't want you to puke in the borrowed helmet. So, but I've had to stop twice like that just to keep him from puking. I was going to say there's got to be some sort of instruction. If you see me running, <laughs> it's too late. <laughs> but they won't see you running because they're tied in. <laughs> right. <laughs> Tony, are you yeah. still there? Hello? Is this thing on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty funny. I've I've I could you know I can hear people um, just breathing on the other side. Sure. And after we go through a fast stretch, you know, I have to tell them like, "Hey, you need to breathe. Like you haven't breathed for a while. Like start breathing." <laughs> and they'll start laughing. They're like, "You're right. I haven't been breathing." Yeah. <laughs> That's it's, funny. It's, I know it's overwhelming. Like as soon as we hit, even some of my experienced team guys, I'll take them like for a thirty minute ride, and when we get back. They're ready to get out of that car. They're like, "I don't know how you do this for twelve hours." Like, this is crazy. Does it does it bother you being a passenger? Because I've always had an issue where I can do a lot of things if I'm the one in control or, or feel like I'm in control. But as a passenger, like my wife driving, it's like, oh, my God, how could she do that? That's just, you know, nice, smooth acceleration. Come on, you know. So it, <laughs> it's just it's just different as a passenger. Um, it is different. And I guess my, my comfort level increases when I see that they – actually have control of the vehicle and their their <laughs> sure. timing is good sure you know because sometimes it's just bad timing you know like they hit the brakes and you know and magnify the bump you know if they would have just stayed on the gas it would have gone over the top of it you know right so yep all right zoom people we're talking to telly <laughs> telly tony pellegrino <laughs> of uh, genrite uh, genrite.com uh, and we're letting you ask questions uh, so don't be afraid jump in there ask a question and if it's a dumb question we'll let you know this is Tom from Southern Arizona. You got me? This is Tom from Southern I Arizona. Um, yeah. uh, primarily speaking of JK type stuff or JKU, in the race bill like your Terramoto or the pleasure bills you do, a lot of times the driver and the co-driver aren't the same heights and size, and you primarily use PRP seats. So how do you work where the shorter person might need a raised up seat and a bigger person would hit the roll cage? and accommodate both people in that kind of a situation? That's a great question. Okay, so in Terramoto, um, obviously, I'm the driver of that vehicle, right? So I, I have the driver's seat position. Now, because I've got some racing experience and I, um, I know how the vehicle should feel, I actually have a specific seat cushion made for me out of a certain material, and uh, that, that really makes the seat comfortable for me for a long period of time, right? Then my co-driver is much taller than I am. Um, so what we do is we cut the mounts. So it's the same seat. We cut the mounts down. So the seat is much lower, almost on the floor. And uh, then I've got different thicknesses of uh, seat cushion that go inside of it. So for him, he'll run the same 
thickness cushion, I would. And then if I've got a shorter passenger, I'll put a thicker cushion in. And uh, that'll raise that up and, you know, make it comfortable. But for the most part, in a race-type vehicle or, or you know, something serious, um, the, the passenger always sits lower. So, and I'll tell you how I learned this. The first time I rode in a trophy truck, um, I was a passenger and I could not see at all. All I can see is the gauges and the GPS. And I go, hey, what's the deal? He goes, that's the co-driver's job. You don't get to look around. It's business. Look at the screens. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'll shut up. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Basically, it's all about the center of gravity. You're trying to keep it low. Right. Now, on the pleasure side of it, husband and wife team, they only happen to have one built rig. Um, is there any options for that one or just seat cushion? Try to play with different seat cushions, try to make it work worthwhile. Yeah. So um, if we're, are we talking like TJYJCJ? JKU, you know, they got the, the driver's seat has that factory pump up. Yeah. Yeah. So then in that case, what I would do. That makes a bracket that adjusts to that. Yeah. So in the TJYJCJ, we actually have adjustable height brackets that, that you can move and change the tilt and everything. In the JK, it's not quite that easy because the, the hump in the middle, um, you know, the transmission tunnel is quite big. So what we do is we have PRP build us seats that the cushion sits way down in. And, uh, or, you know, you can use, um, you know, some of the new molded type seats. Um, but, you know, basically if you guys were to just get, and it's, it's, it's a popular option, the, the removable, bottom cushion you can get those in different heights so um you know if you mounted it for the tallest person with the the, the cushion in the right spot and then got thicker cushions for the shorter person i think you could achieve what you're looking for all right thank you yep you're welcome but Tony, we know where we know where uh Genrite's at today but what's the kind of what's the origins of uh Genrite? in terms of uh like where we are in california no, just kind of how you got started and, you know, what was the, you know, why did you start Genrite and what was kind of the need and some of the products oh. you started it with? Okay. Um, yeah, so I grew up um, off-roading, dirt biking mostly, and uh, I love, you know, anything in the dirt and certainly anything on wheels. Um, okay. As I got older, um, you know, my my passion for off-roading didn't change, but I you know, started to have a family, um, needed to be more responsible. So, you know, moving into something like a Jeep was the natural progression. Um, as they say, with age comes a cage, right? <laughs> so <laughs> then, um, you know, I started upgrading my Jeep and realizing that a lot of the products that are out there are kind of BS, honestly. And, and the companies out there and the people that sell the products, it's all... When, when you walk into an off-road shop and, you know, the, of course they go, oh, first thing, lift get tires and wheels, right? So, you know, they start you down this path that um, isn't necessarily right. You know, everybody's trying to go for a look or whatever. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's just unfortunate that it's so misguided, um, it, that they don't really understand what you're trying to do with the Jeep or, I don't know, I, it's, it's hard to say. And I guess what bothered me was they didn't say, like, look, you, I'll sell you this, but the right way to do it is this. 
and I, honestly, I don't think they knew the right way to do it. So I, that's why I stopped going there. But um, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to demonstrate to people, this is the right way to do it. Like I've been through all these steps, you know, of BS parts that, you know, are good for one trip and then they're worn out and, and, you know, you're getting death wobble and they don't have the right, you know, scrub radius and, you know, just everything's wrong, right? You just start uh, taping bad things together and it's just getting worse and worse. So what I'm trying to do is show everybody the right way to do it with the right components and build it once for the last time or, or build it gen right, you know? So anyways, um, that, that was really the, the, the crux of what happened to me. So I, I put a big axle in the rear. Um, sure enough, I go out of the driveway, the differential hits the gas tank skid plate. So I'm like, well, what's everybody doing? <laughs> they go, oh, we just moved the axle forward. I'm like, well, why would you do that? Like shorter wheelbase isn't good. Like, what are you guys crazy? So that's when I built my gas tank. So, and okay. I, I did this before I even started Genrite. I, I was just an enthusiast. I just wanted like the best stuff. And uh, then as soon as, it was kind of weird because, you know, you think about, do people really look underneath and see a gas tank? But everywhere I went, there was people looking under my Jeep going, where'd you get that? I'm like, well, I made it. They're like, well, can I get one? You know, I'm like, holy cow. So the next thing I know, all the guys in my Jeep club want one. And, you know, and then the next thing I know, I'm at SEMA. So, um, yeah, it didn't, it didn't take long before all that to just take off and realize that there was a real need in the market because everybody wanted to, you know, put a bigger axle in and lengthen their wheelbase. And, and we were, you know, poised perfectly for that. Tony, I like to say uh, no modification goes unpunished. And that, I think that's yeah. what happened to you. Yeah. I've, I've literally probably built my Jeep five times. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. I will watch for that gas tank because I have one of those gas tanks and I absolutely love it. Good. You, Good. Uh, Glad to hear it. You, you drug it across or pivoted on some rocks out at Hidden Falls oh. on that, didn't you? I pivoted in, in Hidden Falls, Colorado, and Moab. <laughs> I took a beating like a champ. Andrew is, uh, <laughs> what are you on, Andrew? 31s on, on that uh, that LJ? Yeah, 31. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's uh, that's why. That's why, Tony. He's He's got the, the yeah. 31s, which is fine. There's nothing wrong. I mean, what matters is that you get up and over the obstacle. Well, and you're out there doing it, man. That's, that's the thing. I mean... You know, it doesn't do any good if it looks good and it stays home. You got to get out there and use it. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay, come on, John. I know you got another question. You're just trying to hold back so everybody else has a chance. Um, yeah, I got one. Um, so I know that uh, Genrite's really, uh, really into the aluminum stuff as well. When you're looking at like aluminum fenders, bumpers, skids, and stuff like that. Um, you know, initially when you when you hear that, hey, I'm putting aluminum armor on the Jeep, you know, you can kind of be a little hesitant, right? Tin cans, you know that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> right, Ford, uh, Ford truck, trucks, yeah. So when y'all, when y'all got into the uh, when y'all got into the aluminum thing, kind of what was the what was some of the thought process behind it? Was it just uh, I mean, it, do you, is it more is it better than steel? Is it just the weight savings, or is there another kind of advantage? You know, kind of you know, what were your thoughts around that that developing that aluminum lineup? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So. Um, I'll tell you this. I, I figured out very quickly that weight was a huge difference in the performance of the vehicle when you're off-road. Um, and then, you know, even on the road, you know, if, if you got all this stuff stacked on there, it's all up high, and then the thing's, you know, squirrely, and it's got a high center of gravity. So way back, this is back in, like, 2006, 
I made all aluminum stuff and I painted it so you couldn't even tell. Right. And people would, they'd watch my Jeep on the trail and they'd go like, how did you do that? <laughs> and I'm, I'm chuckling. Cause I'm like, they have no idea that I've shed 400 pounds. Right. So, um, it's, it's just interesting, you know, and that's when I started to go, okay. So then the next ones I painted, I painted so that I, I put a sticker, uh, before we painted it. And then when we painted it, I peeled the sticker off so you could see the aluminum underneath. And that's, that's how I started to kind of introduce people. So then they're coming over to me and they're going, well, how does it hold up? And I said, well, here's how, you know, you're, when you look at something like a corner guard, you're distributing the load, like say, say you push on a branch or a rock or something, um, across a big area. So it's not like it's just a single impact. Um, so, you know, when you're, when you're distributing that load across a big area, then it, then it has a chance to work. Now, you know, sure, is it going to scar a little bit or, you know, something like it's thick, right? It's 316 thick, just like the steel we were putting on. But the difference is you can take a file and knock off the, the scar and sand it out a little bit and, you know, use Scotch-Brite if you want and clean it right back up. So, um, you know, the, the, I think the advantages of the lighter weight outweigh the, the durability of the steel. And, and here's where, um, when I was at a show, this is what I'd be talking to people if I was on the trail. Is I would say, well, look, you do you want to drive your Jeep by Braille? Because here's the thing. I make steel parts too, right? But you put the steel parts on, and all it's going to do is crush whatever it's attached to because they're so strong. Or you can put the aluminum ones on, and they're probably going to deform before at least the cowl or the tub deform. And then you'd have a chance to pull that off and replace it, but the base part of your Jeep is still good. Yep, really good point. Right? I mean... Oh, oh, makes sense. Yeah, it, it, I mean, I, I ended up going with steel mainly, but to be honest, it was it was a, a cost measure as well. <laughs> but um, yep. it, it's it, it's really heavy, and I think I've, I'm paying the price now, as we were talking about before the show started or whatever. My, uh, I'm looking at shocks now because I've added so much weight with the steel sliders and the fenders and the bumpers and everything else that, you know, I'm bottoming out, running on bumps, bump stops a lot, all that kind of stuff. Um so, you know, starting to look at shocks and other other upgrades and stuff because of the weight. So well, well, that's a good point. How much how much is it going to cost you because of having that metal, uh, that steel bumper? And I'll, I'll tell you, John, uh, Genrite still has uh, aluminum bumpers. So you could always get an aluminum bumper and go visit uh, Facebook Marketplace for the, the bumper you have on there now. <laughs> I think the bumpers are less the issue for me. I think it's those fenders and sliders are, are pretty yeah. heavy. Yeah. So, so John, the other thing um, that I used to notice what that people were doing was they would buy a six-inch lift kit in order to get a four-inch lift because the steel stuff was so heavy, right? So now people put the aluminum stuff on. They're like, I just my my Jeep just rose up two inches. You know, like it's incredible. So yeah. we're, we're seeing the shift. I mean, everybody is swapping out the parts there. And then they're amazed, you know, that they're really happy. I mean, think about this. Like, you notice, even if you just don't run your spare tire anymore, right? And that's only 150 pounds. Well, if, I don't know what you're driving. If you're driving a JK, well, yeah, the, the switch from steel to aluminum is 600 pounds. That's a lot. It, it is a lot. Yeah. Not, not just that, but yeah. the, you mentioned, I think we talked about the gas tanks a little bit ago. This, this JKU gas tank being really long and where it's located is also really right. In fact, somebody... 
that when I pull it, pull a gas, it's got a little bit of a lean to it for the, to the side oh, wow. where that gas tank yeah. is at. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and part of that is because um, the springs and shocks are mounted inboard, and uh, that's a big part of what we do on our suspension kits is move everything outboard to give the whole vehicle more stability. So it's, you know... <sighs> It's, it's very interesting for me, you know, Jeep has to manufacture these vehicles in a certain way to meet mileage requirements, safety requirements and stuff. So I know that the, the Jeep Chrysler engineers are really happy when I do something because I'm doing it the way that they would have liked to have done it in the beginning. Mm-hmm. They, they just can't. They're under too many constraints. Well, you, you talk about uh, gas mileage. Shedding 400 pounds off a Jeep is going to help you on uh, gas mileage. I mean, if you can keep your foot out of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and... and you know, it's going to, I mean, think about it. Just just take this analogy. Push a shopping cart that's full up a hill, right? It's going to be hard. You take half the weight out and push it up the hill again, it's going to be a lot easier. So now it's easier on your whole drivetrain. The vehicle's going to work better. Um, you know, it's not going to be searching for traction as much. Just there's a lot of advantages to a lighter vehicle. And that's why when all of us watch some of these super lightweight buggies, like the guy earlier was talking about, like a bomber and stuff, they, they can go anywhere because they're like 2,500 pounds. They're half the weight of a Jeep. Yeah, you got to be able to feel that in the acceleration to, uh, as well. So that uh, sounds like it'd be more like uh, driving a go-kart uh, than uh, than a, uh, a very heavy vehicle. That's, uh, that's really cool. I think it's hilarious that you were painting the bumper. It, it seems like everybody, every, at least online anyway, everybody that has uh, a Genrite aluminum bumper, it's not painted. It's kind of like, look at here. Yeah, look, I got an aluminum bumper. You got you to gotta notice this. Yeah, they want to show it off. Uh, yes, yeah. they do. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Hey, Tony, it's uh, right, Peter here, from, Peter sure. from Central Virginia here. Uh, got a quick question for you. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, if, um, sorry, I had to say that. Uh, <laughs> if, if you were starting out building a rig, um, you know, you've got a, we've got a long list of shopping items that we want to have on the rig. Where would you start? What would be the first significant thing that you would want to put on the rig as you're building it? Oh, man. And regardless of which Jeep we're choosing. Yeah. Just philosophically, where do you start? Like you, you talked about it earlier, walking into an unnamed off-road you know, store, and the first thing they're going to throw at you is a bunch of link arms and body pucks and stuff where, where would you start okay that's that's a great question and we kind of did this with our budget yj build that we recently did um and this could apply to you know whatever jeep uh but basically you know we we picked up a jeep that um had little or no lift in it and we tried to keep it that way so we put um rocker guards on it we put a gas tank skid plate on it we put a winch bumper on the front and we put a a rear bumper on the rear that they gave it a lot more departure angle. So it's right up against the back of the frame. Um, then I did uh, lockers, right? Upgraded um, like brake pads and, you know, some of the little stuff put on some slightly bigger tires, a um, little better shock. I only went with like a Bilstein 5100, you know, not an expensive shock, like a hundred dollar shock. And um, then did a slip yoke eliminator and put some better drive shafts in. And the, those are the, with those small things right there, um, you can go run the Rubicon. Like, that's, that's all you need to go, you know, do a good trail. And uh, I think that's what most people are after. And instead, you know, they get 
they're buying all kinds of crap, light bars and other stuff they don't even need. And uh, you really got to focus on the the capability of the Jeep first. And I I, I hope that answers your question. Uh, yeah, thanks, Tony. I mean, if I could make a comment, which would be, um, and I think you taught me the hard, this the hard way. I mean, where would you be I mean, more direct with my question? Where would you put a roll cage on that list? So, okay, that then that that is the the roll cage should really be the first thing, um, but it's but it's typically the last thing that people do. Um, and the reason I say it should be the first thing is because when they first get a Jeep, they're the most inexperienced and the most likely to make a mistake. Um, however, it's a pretty big purchase. Like for the, for the price of the roll cage, you could buy all that other stuff I just talked about. So that's that's always the quandary um, that that people have. So I'm I'm always trying to get people out there to to you know get hooked so to speak you know get get the juices flowing. So I, I want them to do that and then say okay you know I need to continue to upgrade and get more safety things you know we've made the vehicle more capable now let's you know make sure we've got harnesses and a roll cage and that kind of stuff to to keep them safe and and their family. Yep. Thanks, Tony. Yep. So, Tony, kind of expanding on that question, I know you guys probably see a bunch of Jeeps come into your shop. What's the what's the one key mod that you see that everybody, I'm going to say traditionally, gets wrong and you got to undo? 22-inch wheels, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> they're putting 24 inch tires on them though. well because 21 said this were stretchy yeah <laughs> um well one of my my big pet peeves on a relatively built jeep is the um, hydraulic assist ram that is clamped onto the tie rod that is a huge no-no yeah that that has to have tabs that are welded on too many times I've seen that clamp slip, and uh, then the guy is on the radio or stuck in an obstacle going, I can't turn, I can't turn. So Wow, that just makes sense. I'm, I'm surprised they do that. Is uh, Are the steering stabilizers, if you run one, are the steering stabilizers okay to attach to the, the tie rod? Um, you know, the stabilizers don't put the same kind of force. Right. And, and I think it's also the kind of thing that a new driver doesn't understand. You know, when they get a ram assist steering, all of a sudden, they've got all this power. So what happens is you still got to pay attention. And when you feel resistance, don't don't just keep cranking the wheel because you can, right? Something's going to give. I mean, of course. If that if if the uh, if the clamp didn't slide on the tie rod, it might have broken a tie rod end or the knuckle or something. You know, they they still have to drive smart. And um, that's that's all the stuff I'm always talking to people about when I'm out wheeling with them. You know. I'm trying to teach them, like, this is how you keep your Jeep alive. You know, don't don't just, I don't care if you saw somebody else do it. It's not right. You know, do it this way. Well, and you, you, need, to, good and you need to understand what's going on, too. You can't, and I think a lot of times when you do it yourself, you understand better. But I realize that you don't have to do it yourself. But educate yourself on what's going on. Hydraulic assist scares the hell out of me from the standpoint of, you know, you got that expensive tire and wheel and the other parts are all attached to that. And you're up against a rock and you go, well, hydro, hydro, hydro assist, It'll, I'll be able to turn the wheel. <laughs> but like yeah. you say, you're going to break something going through that uh, thing and it probably won't be the hydraulic assist. It probably won't. No, no. And, you know, the, the typically what happens is it's the track bar because the track oh, yeah. bar uses it. 
a tiny little bolt that's like no bigger than your pinky. And uh, it's it's an absolute crime. I, I don't even know how they get away with building stuff like this. It's just terribly small, not right, you know. It it and, amazes uh, it amazes me the size of the axle shafts inside of the axles. Those things are tiny, con- considering the tiny. size of the tire and the wheel and the the weight of the vehicle. It just it amazes me how well it works. Yeah, I mean, I I learned a long time ago. You just all the stock stuff. If if, if wheeling is your thing, you got to get rid of it, right? It's the the mounts, the geometry, the bolt size, like everything is wrong. It's all made for. Um, highway crash protection mm-hmm. right they want it to crumple up well that's the exact last thing you want you know when you're out wheeling you need this stuff to hang on so um you got to beef it up it's it's all like half the thickness that it should be right the yeah bolts, the, the mounts everything well that's why i always laugh when somebody says uh, i finally finished my jeep build <laughs> oh give me a break <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's, it's never finished <laughs> there's people like you at Genrite coming out with new stuff you gotta have <laughs> yeah we're like uh apple we're, we're creating the next iphone like you know well i think it's more I like a, a heroin dealer <laughs> you just gotta have it gotta have it gotta have it <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh man all right any more questions for for tony this is your opportunity jump in here don't be shy i, uh, I got two quick ones let's talk about arizona again um okay. i run the the Thompson baja boss mts in 37 and I'm working on the wife about going to 40s, but I notice they go from the 8 ply to a C-ply tire with the weight of a JKU between 55 and 6,100 pounds out there with all the builds you guys do with 40s, not counting the competition tires. Um, have you guys had any more of a, a tire issue on sharp rocks? Because out here in Arizona, we have sharp rocks. I haven't had any issues yet, and I love the tires. I'm just wondering, going down in weight class on the tire, if I'm going to run myself into trouble. Well, that, that's a good question. The, the, um, because the tire is bigger, um, it, you know, and you think about the tire in terms of being like an airbag, so it, it takes less pressure to support the same vehicle. Um, so, therefore, the construction of the tire can be lighter weight. Now, I can tell you that the the tires that I raced, King of the Hammers in my JK, um, are exactly the same, you know, as those. They're they're C C rated and I ran over everything. And I've I've been out to Arizona too. Now, you know, the the reality is if if you've got sharp rocks on the sidewall, you know, of the, the, the trail, right, if you're in a canyon or something, um, you need to be somewhat cognizant of that. And well because I've got an atlas, a lot of the time I can just drop out the rear and drag the front around and I don't have to worry about, you know, that thing just plowing the sidewall. So, um, you know, maybe, you know, just to not continue to pull money out of your pocket, you know, you three point the turn or whatever that looks like. But for the most part, the, the construction, the rubber, the quality, um, it is very, very tough. Um, and, and you, you might even find, um, after, you know, several hundred miles of us out wheeling somewhere like the hammers that will have some surface scuffs and stuff, but rarely does it go all the way through. So, um, and I, I always say I carry a spare for somebody else. I, I, I hardly ever use it. So I, I think you'd be fine. 
Yeah, it's a good thing to have. Great, uh, great question, Tom. Thank you, and and thank you to everybody uh, joining with us uh, here tonight. Uh, Tony, you know how the kids love the social media these days. Where can uh, people find uh, you, uh, Genride, or both uh, online? Yeah, so um, I'm I'm on Facebook. Genride is on Facebook. Um, we're on Instagram, uh, both myself and the company. Um, and you'll you'll find my boys and the people that work here. I mean, everybody's on social media these days. So uh, my, mine's always uh, Genrite Tony, um, or just Genrite Off Road is is the main for both Facebook and Instagram. Right. So um, yeah, lots of social media, and then of course our website is a plethora of information and you know deep parts galore. So you can shop by vehicle, you can shop just by the category. You can go to the search box and start typing stuff in, whether it's a description or a part number, and it'll pull up everything. So. It's a really smart search. And uh, now we did the the interview a while back, but uh, it was just recently published, episode 633, if you guys haven't uh, heard it yet. It was a really, really fun interview for me. Um, and and uh, Tony gave away a Genrite uh, Matrix taillight. And I can tell you that our giveaway winner was really, really excited to, to, about getting that. And I, I, I'm brain farting. There's a, a, a bracket or something that you sell uh, on the, depending if it's a JK or a JL, uh, you know what I'm talking about. I do. Yeah. We call it a bezel, bezel. and they're, uh, we, we've already sold out of them. So yeah, but, <laughs> I appreciate you helping me try to promote that, but we're, we, we need to make more for both the JK and the JL. Well, you can still put uh, the matrix taillight on there, right? You don't have to have the bezel, do you? Well, unless you use our corner guard, that's, that's the other way you're able to do it. Okay. Um, so yeah, but the, everybody loves LED tail lights, and obviously, if you have a LJ, TJ, YJ, CJ, they just go right on. They they bolt on to the stock light position. Okay. It's yeah. a direct replacement. Yeah. So the, that's, that's easy. the the question I was getting to is, do you know when the the LJ bezels are going to be available? Um, I'm gonna say. Sounds like a no. <laughs> I'm <laughs> um, probably like sixty days out. Okay, okay. Because I know our yeah. I, I know our our Genrite Matrix uh, LED taillight winner. He was really interested in that. He's probably but uh, pestered the hell out of you guys already. But I figured I'd oh. ask, you know, because I know I'm sure he's <laughs> listening. So yeah, yeah. We were selling them like we we got a bunch in and they shipped the same day and now we're cleaned out. So we uh, make well, more. that's that's the danger of building good stuff, Tony. Is uh, that's right. You know, it's people are gonna <laughs> soak it up. Tony, thank you so yep. much for being with us here tonight. I hope it was uh, fun for you, and uh, I hope our our Zoom people had a, a good time and uh, learned a little something about uh, Genrite and uh, Tony Pellegrino. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right, guys, you know how this works. Uh, we uh, we meet here every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Now, of course, the, the show, the episode itself is published on Wednesday, so if you don't make it here in time for the Tuesday 8 p.m. Central Time uh, Zoom meeting, you can uh, hear what you missed uh, the very next day, usually uh, the morning uh, of Wednesday. So uh, if you're here now listening to this, uh, then you can uh, listen to it again. Maybe uh, if you came in late, you have a way of uh, hearing what happened before you got here. So coming up this Thursday, episode 661 on our interview episode, Don Morrison of DirtyAcres.com, the Jeep grill insert company, will be joining us for her interview. 
And, uh, you know, I, I just got to tell you, you need to sign up for our newsletter. And when I say need, uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's not something life-threatening, but it's, it's great information for you to have. And I think the most important thing that you can have there is the link to the Zoom room so you can actually have a chance of being here. Now, we can support up to 100 people in the Zoom room, so invite your friends. Come in here and have a good time. It's every week, every Tuesday, 8 p.m., and it's just so simple to sign up for that newsletter. Just go to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact, scroll down the page, and you'll see it. Get one email a week, and you'll know when the roundtable meeting and the link is to the Zoom meeting. You know, I love having the opportunity to speak directly to you, the listener, in our roundtable episode. If you've been meaning to join, take that first step by listening. You don't have to speak. I bet you'll soon find yourself being a chatterbox and enjoying every minute. So until next week, oh, and uh, the next uh, roundtable we have is going to be our standard uh, just questions and answers. So uh, if you're too nervous about talking to a guest, hey, just come talk to us. Be nervous in a whole nother way. Podcasting since 2010. 